When you're growing up in Sunday school as a child, you figure out pretty quick when a teacher asks a question, if you're not really sure, Jesus is always the best answer. I mean, nine times out of ten in children's Sunday school, that's the correct answer, isn't it? And then later in the youth department growing up there, First Baptist Pigeon Forge, uh, I knew a little more. And then later, as I matured in, in life a little bit, I came to realize that the correct answer to everything is, is Jesus. He really is the solution to all of our problems. And today we want to talk to you about Jesus as the great physician. We're looking at a passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus heals a lady. This particular lady happens to be Peter's mother-in-law. And Jesus, Jesus heals her. When you think about Jesus, he's not just a great physician, he's the great shepherd. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the bread of life. The Bible gives us all of these rich images and descriptions because who he is is so much greater than any single metaphor or title could ever encompass. And as the Bible depicts Jesus as a great physician, depicts him as one who is able to heal, one who is able to heal not only physical infirmity, but one who is able to heal our greatest needs, spiritual death. So Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, is where we're going to read in just a moment. I want to share with you from, from a, a, an old hymn. I don't know if you've ever heard this or sung this before, but the first part of this hymn says, The great physician now is near, the sympathizing Jesus. He speaks the drooping heart to cheer. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. Sweetest note in seraphim song, sweetest name on mortal tongue, sweetest carol every song. Jesus, blessed Jesus. Would you stand with me as we read about this person now and his great healing in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. The Bible says that when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to understand Jesus came. He came to heal us. I pray for every person that's in this room and for every person that's watching, for every person that's listening by radio. Lord, would you speak to our hearts today and draw us to your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus came and he came for for every person. This, the Bible tells us in this passage that we just read about how Jesus healed a lady, a lady who was the mother-in-law of the disciple Peter, 
the disciple who would go on to be the great apostle in the early church, Peter. And Jesus heals this, this lady. It's, it's the third of three true stories of healing found here in Matthew chapter 8. The first is the story of Jesus healing a leper. The second is the story of Jesus healing a Gentile's servant. And now he heals a woman. When we read the Bible, it's so important that we read it in, in context. Context. If you've been in church very long, you may have heard that statement before, this idea of reading in context. But, but what does it mean to read something in context? Well, context simply means what is with the text. It means we don't read a verse in isolation, but we look at what's around it. I don't know if you've ever been to the grocery store before and saw chili con carne. That means chili with, with meat. Chili with con means with. I don't really know why they felt they needed to spell that out. It, to me, that's like going to a car dealership and they say, you want a car with an engine or without engine? I mean, I just uh, assume my chili's going to have meat in it. But anyway, chili con carne means chili with meat. The context means what's with the text. So we look at what comes before it. We look at what comes after it. Many times we read the Bible, unfortunately, like it's a dictionary. When you open up a dictionary, you go to an entry and you read that word and that definition and that word and definition alone. And it's appropriate for a dictionary, but it's not appropriate for the Bible to go and read a verse and never even think about what's with the text, what's before, what's after it. And so we look at what Matthew is showing us here. We see these, these three stories of how Jesus heals a leper and then he heals a Gentile's serpent, servant and then he heals this lady, Peter's mother-in-law. There's lots of cases throughout the Bible where we see stories and individuals carefully organized. One example would be the, the parable of the prodigal son, or we might say the, the, the lost son. This parable, like the healing that we're about to read, is the third of three parables. The Bible first tells us about a lost sheep. And then it tells us about a lost coin. And then it tells us about a lost son. As these three parables are placed together, they build one upon another. You see, the sheep is one of a hundred. The shepherd left the 99 to go seek the one. The coin is one of Ten. The lady had nine, went searching all through the house for the, the tenth lost coin. And then we come to the prodigal son, and the lost son is one of two. You see in those parables, there's a climax as each lost thing becomes even more precious. They're related together. And we see this passage, the Bible telling us about a leper, a Gentile servant, and then now a woman. We see this diverse group of people with all different kinds of needs and conditions. And as we see Jesus meeting the need of each one, we realize that Jesus came for everyone. He came for everyone. In the first century, women 
were second-class citizens in the mind of the first century Jew. And yet the Bible is very clear that Jesus came to meet their needs just as he did the men who were the religious leaders of their day. The Bible says here that Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law. It says in verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Each of these three healings involved some form of, of uncleanness. And today we don't really have any concept of uncleanness except for when we're literally talking about whether something is dirty or not. But in the Bible, the Bible is very clear about this, this idea of ceremonial purity in addition to literal physical uncleanness. And lepers were, were unclean. Lepers were isolated from the society. In fact, when a leper was to enter a village or an area, they had to announce before they, for their way, unclean, warning people not to come near them. And yet Jesus, Jesus heals a leper. The home of a Gentile was considered unclean. And yet Jesus heals the servant of this Gentile. And every month for a week, Women were considered unclean, and many Jewish men tried to simply never touch them just in case they might be ceremonially unclean. And yet Jesus healed each of these people, the leper, the Gentile servant, and Peter's mother-in-law. We're a diverse group here today. We come from different places. We come from different backgrounds. We look across our community and we see people in all different ways of life. We see people in our community that are consumed with drug addiction. We see other people in our community that are fine, upstanding citizens. They keep the law. They're good neighbors. They're nice people. but they're depending on their own goodness to get to heaven, having never acknowledged their sin and received Jesus as Savior. So we think about that spectrum from one extreme to the other. It doesn't matter where you fall. Ultimately, we all have the same need. And Jesus is the only solution. And the great news is that just like Jesus came and was able to heal a man that was consumed with leprosy, he came, he came to a group of people who were absolute outcasts in the mind of the Jews. He came to the Gentiles and healed a Gentile's servant. And he came to heal a lady a lady who in that first century context would have been considered very insignificant compared to Peter 
and all the other disciples, and yet Jesus healed her. When we look at that, it, it's meant to show us that wherever you are in life, whatever your sin problem is, and however that manifests itself, Jesus came for you. He came for all people. These, these people who were unclean, the leper was separated until he was healed and pronounced clean. He was separated from society. The Gentile was separated until he became a Jew. And the woman was separated for seven days each month. And in the same way, sin separates all of us with God. But Jesus came so that we could be in fellowship with God. As we think back upon our life, every honest person here can think of times when you did things you're ashamed of. We've all spoken words that we wish we could retract. We've all sought things that we wish we had never sought. We've all done things that we wish we'd never done. Every person in this room, we may have very different particulars, but ultimately we have the same problem. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And there may have been a time in our life when we excused all of that and felt better about ourselves because we found someone else who had fallen much shorter. And we took glory and pride in the fact that we had risen above our neighbor. But no matter how high we rise above our neighbor, we still fall short of the glory of God. In many different ways, we are all unclean before God. But the good news about Jesus is that he became unclean so that we might become clean. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him, that is the Father made the Son, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Jesus came so this leper could be clean. He came so this Gentile servant could be saved. And he came so that Peter's mother-in-law could be healed of her fever and survive. But he also came so that you could be forgiven. He came so that you could be cleansed. He came so that although we are consumed by sin, we could be clothed in righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we think about the world today. The world is so divided. Our current, our current political culture, and I, I don't know if it's always been this way or just technology has just made it more evident. I don't know if technology has made it worse or technology has made us uh, more aware of what other people are thinking, but we're so divided. There's so much hatred in the world. There's so much division. And yet the most universal, unifying message that there is is that every person Every person has the same problem, but every person has been offered the same solution. 
We can all come before God in the same way, in humility, admitting our need, and asking for forgiveness. And when we come before God, it doesn't matter where we were born, what we look like, or what we've done. We come before God and we receive the same grace and we're introduced to the same Savior and we're given the same hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus came for lepers. He came for Gentiles. He came for women. He came for every single one of us. He came for all people. And he came with unlimited power and power that he's always had, power that he still has today. Notice what it says in verse 16. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. The Bible says that Jesus cast out demons. He cast out demons. Many people today don't believe in demons. They believe that demons are just part of a superstitious view portrayed in the Bible. But demons are very real. And I don't understand why anybody who believes that God is real would have trouble believing that there are other spiritual beings in the world that God has created. When we look around the world, we can see each other. But there's much that we can't see. We can't see the wind. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit was like the wind. It's real, and it moves among us. And we can't see it, but we can see the effects of it. And just like we can't see the wind and we can't see the spirit, we, we can't necessarily see demons nor angels unless they manifest themselves in the human form, which the Bible says they often do. The Bible says that, that some of us have entertained angels unaware. Meaning we've at times in our life said a kind word to a stranger. Maybe we've helped someone who wasn't a person at all. The Bible says that we've entertained angels unaware. When we look around the world, there's more here than what we can see. We're not alone. And the Bible tells us that demons are angels that God created that rebelled against him. And Jesus has complete authority over them. In Luke chapter 4, verses 33 through 36, it says, And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice ha what have you to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God but Jesus rebuked him saying be silent and come out of him and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst he came out of him having done him no harm and they were all amazed and said to one another what is this word for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. The people had never seen anything like this before. Many of them were living under the oppression of demons. They knew people who had been possessed, and they could not help them. They tried to, to exercise them, and they couldn't. They didn't have the authority. And yet Jesus, as Jesus is in the center, God, this demon confronts Jesus and Jesus merely speaks a word and the demon obeys his command because Jesus has complete absolute authority even over demons because he is the creator and they are the creation. Jesus came with unlimited power. He not only cast out demons, he, he healed 
the sick. The, the Bible says here in the second part of verse 16, and he cast out the spirits with a word, notice this, and healed all who were sick. Some people uh, claim that the Bible confuses disease and illness with demon possession, that it perpetrates a superstitious worldview that was held prior to the Enlightenment when we came to a greater understanding of science and what was going on in the world. Anyone who argues that has either never read the Bible or is a liar. The Bible very carefully distinguishes between illness, disease, and demon possession. The Bible does tell us that people can be sick because of demon possession and that some symptoms are not the manifestation of bacteria or virus but are the result of demon possession. And there are people today who are possessed by demons. Demons are real in the world. And I'm not telling you that so you can be afraid. I'm just telling you that you can have a holy, healthy respect because we don't need to be afraid as believers because the Bible says that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. And the same Jesus that spoke in the synagogue and commanded the demons to come out and they immediately obeyed. It's the same Jesus that we follow and worship today. But he not only had authority over the demons, he had authority even over disease and sickness. And so the Bible says that he came, cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. None, none was too hard for him. The Bible says in that verse that we just read that evening, they brought to him many, many. They brought many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed. And notice this word here, healed all who were sick. Everyone who came to Jesus, he, he healed them. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 18, listen to what the Bible says. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord... Have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire, and even and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Here's a man who had great faith, longed to see his son healed. He brought them to the disciples, and they could not. And later, Jesus' disciples would ask Jesus why sometimes they could not cast out demons. And Jesus said, you have to have faith. You have to have great faith. Jesus once said about a particular demon, he says, this kind only comes out through prayer and faith. Jesus, when he encountered the demon possessed, he spoke and the demons obeyed. There were some that were 
too hard for the disciples. They didn't have enough faith to believe. And they didn't know how to pray. But there was none that was too hard for Jesus. I'll be the first to admit there's many times that people have come to see me and spoken to me. And people have come, and, and sometimes they'll come very heartbroken and be very honest about what's going on in their life. And there's people that I meet that have problems that when I hear about what's going on, I, I personally don't know how to help them, what the next step is. I know who can help them. I see people that because of past drug abuse, their, their, their mind is forever damaged. They no longer have the ability to make a rational thought which would lead to good, sound decisions. It's one of the sad things about sin. It has consequences. And sometimes those consequences are lifelong scars. And I meet with people sometimes and I hear these, these stories that are so sad and I, I don't know exactly how to help them or tell them what the next step they should take to move forward in their life. Many times I'm, I'm like the disciples. The disciples who didn't know how to deal with this particular demon. But what was too hard for them was simple for Jesus. And the same is true for us today. We look around in our community. We see people in our family that don't know the Lord. We see people in our workplace that don't know the Lord. And there may be people that are so consumed by sin that we don't know how to help them. We're not sure where to begin the conversation. And even when they express the desire to change, we're not really even sure what the very next step would be in their situation. When we become overwhelmed, we need to be encouraged by knowing that what is hard for us is simple for Jesus. The disciples didn't know how to deal with this demon, but Jesus did. He came. He came for everyone. He came with unlimited power. And he came to suffer in our place. The Bible says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus fulfilled Scripture. Fulfilled Scripture. There have been uh, many times that I've made promises in my life. And uh, early on when my kids were small, I, I, I really, uh, I wanted to be the best dad that I could be. I wanted to raise them right. I wanted to teach them a lot of things. And, and, I, and I didn't want to be one of those dads that made promises that they didn't keep. And so my solution to that was I just didn't make promises. Uh, and so they would come and they would, they would say, uh, I can remember one day uh, I was in the kitchen and Madison was in the next room with one of the neighbor kids. And Madison came in there, and she asked if I would take them somewhere that afternoon. And I said, I said, maybe. We'll see. We, we might get to go. And Madison went in the next room, and I heard her tell the neighbor kid, she says, that means yes. <laughs> and it did mean yes. 
It meant yes if I'm able is what it meant. I couldn't say yes because there's a lot in life that I wasn't in control of. But you know, Jesus, he doesn't have the limitations that you and I have. You see, God was able to say hundreds and even thousands of years in advance exactly what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. Through the Old Testament, God foretold how the Messiah would come, how he would minister, and even how he would die. So in the Old Testament, we read where God promised deliverance. And in the New Testament, we read where Jesus provided it. Isaiah was a prophet. So when it says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. God, through this, this man, he spoke and Isaiah gave us revelation from God. Revelation that said he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And certainly Jesus did. He healed many. Now, many people ask the question, why then do we have sick Christians today? If Jesus is able to heal. Well, we go to the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John gives us a miracle. And then it says, and this was the first sign that Jesus did. It tells us about another miracle, and it says, and this was the, the second sign that Jesus gave. You see, Jesus healed people in order to provide a sign that he truly was who he claimed to be, that he was the Messiah, that is, the one promised by God through the Old Testament prophets to bring, to bring salvation to the people. He gave us signs, signs. Sin is just part of living in a fallen, broken world. It's one of the consequences of sin. And God is reversing all of that. In fact, the, the story that we showed last night, I hope that you got to watch, that talked about creation and fall and rescue and restoration. And that is the story of the Bible, is that God is restoring everything that was lost in the fall. That is when man sinned against God and all of humanity and creation fell. Fell from the state in which God created it, fell short of the glory of God, But God is not yet finished with his work. And so although we come into the kingdom of God and we experience some of the benefit, we've not yet experienced everything that God has for us as he restores everything that was lost. Jesus came and he hadn't healed everyone. He hadn't raised everyone from the dead. He hadn't preached to everyone. But yet, as he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus accomplished his mission for that time.
his mission, which was to live a perfect, sinless life in our place, to die paying a penalty that we owe and that we deserve. He suffered in our place. In healing Peter's mother-in-law, Jesus reversed one of the consequences of the fall. And in dying on the cross, he reversed the consequences of sin. The wages of sin is death. But we don't have to pay these wages ourselves because Jesus died in our place. The second part of that, that hymn that I read to you in the beginning says, your many sins are all forgiven. Oh, hear the voice of Jesus. The veil twixt you and God is riven, redemption wrought by Jesus. All glory to the dying lamb, I now believe in Jesus. I love the blessed Savior's name. I love the name of Jesus. His name dispels my guilt and fear. No other name but Jesus. Oh, how my soul delights to hear the precious name of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks today that Jesus is our great physician. And Lord, I pray for every person here today that's hurting, discouraged. Some may be physically sick. Some may be emotionally drained. Others may be absolutely heartbroken. But Lord, you know every need that we have. And I pray today that in faith, we would turn to you to find the answers to our life. Lord, give us faith to believe and to trust in you. For it's in Christ that we pray. Amen.